You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. This is our sermon series, Sacred Habits. How practicing the way of Jesus helps you to flourish spiritually and stay grounded emotionally. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is Luke 11, 1 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. He also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight, and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet, because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead of a fish. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Happy New Year. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I'm also the director of our college ministry. And I get the pleasure of kicking off a brand new series for you all entitled Sacred Habits, Embracing the Habits of Jesus to Become More Like Him. And during this season, or during this series, we'll be looking at the life of Jesus a little bit differently than we might be used to. Typically, when focusing on becoming more like Christ, we, we, we merely focus on transforming our thinking. And while our minds do play a major role in shaping us, so do our habits. What we do on a regular basis is what we will become. The things we do, do something to us. The reality is that we are always being constantly discipled, even through our habits. But our habits are poor means of grace especially if they're aligned more with the world than with the life of Jesus. For example, we touch our phones between 2,500 and 6,000 times a day. Americans, the thing they do most next to sleeping is watching television. And as we're taking in all of this media indiscriminately, we are being caught up, our brains are being bombarded with lies coordinated distraction designed by our enemy. So in 2022, we want to change things up a bit. 
As Christians, we want to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. And this happens when we embrace not only the teachings of Jesus, but also his habits, his practices, his lifestyle. So we'll cover a few of Jesus' habits in this series. We'll look at uh, sacred scripture, sacred fellowship, sacred speed, sacred Sabbath. And today we begin with sacred solitude. Let's pray. Lord, would you speak to your people? Holy Spirit, would you transform us today? Would you pique an interest in our hearts for you? Lord, I pray that at the end of this sermon, we all run to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the Son of God. He walks on water. He restores withered members. From his very hand, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. He is the one who fed the 5,000 with five dinner rolls and two pieces of tilapia. (laughs) Jesus got up and walked out of his own grave when we struggle to get out of bed in the morning. And yet time and time again, in the gospel of Luke, he writes things like this in Luke 5, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Or Luke 6, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. And on the night when he was arrested, he would say, and he came out and went And as was his custom, his rhythm, his habit, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down, he got on his knees, and he prayed. Luke emphasizes a life of Jesus that is drenched, soaking in prayer, even though Jesus was literally perfect. We read this and we, we consider this. Jesus is God in the flesh. Why would Jesus pray? Why would Jesus pray? And that's a question that I am not going to answer today. (laughs) Because there's a better question for us to ask. If Jesus prayed, why don't we? Jesus exhibits this regular rhythm of relentless prayer in retreat. That's what I mean by sacred solitude. And Luke highlights this this component of Jesus' life for a reason. And I'd imagine that on Jesus' garments, there are dirt stains right around the knee area. And they're getting worn in a little bit. The fabric is beginning to fray. And so, for the purpose of self reflection, assessment, do your knees smell like dirt? And I know you're probably like, actually, no, Jason, my knees don't smell like dirt. I just checked. (laughs) Actually, they're not even ashy. The the skin there is quite tender. (laughs) Why don't we pray? I've been meditating on this passage this week, and I think 
the, the reason we don't pray is because we don't realize our own desperate need for God or the immeasurable value of prayer. In the context of Luke's gospel, the disciples, they've been following Jesus for, for a minute, right? And it says, now Jesus is praying in a certain place. And they've seen him do this time and time again. But now they finally ask, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. Like, why now? Why would Luke put this right here? And it's because, man, just a few verses up, we see that Jesus has finally decided to go to Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the end. Jerusalem is where he will be crucified. So according to God's will, the animosity towards Jesus will intensify, culminating in his death. Jesus is about to be pressured by his enemies. And as the young folks say, he wants all the smoke. And so it's important that the disciples learn how to pray now to serve as preparation for what's to come. The disciples, even though they may not even know it yet, they are in desperate need. And if they are to persevere and remain faithful through what is to come, they need to pray. And so for us, we are entering into a brand new year. We have no clue what's in store. One thing we know for sure is that in 2022, we will experience the effects of the fall. We will rejoice, but we'll also mourn. Suffering at some level is guaranteed. So it's fitting for us to embark on this journey together in the new year, adopting this habit of sacred solitude, this regular rhythm of relentless prayer in retreat. I want to help us realize our own desperate need for God and the immeasurable value of prayer. And I want to do that by answering this question, why should we pray? And I'm going to answer that three ways. One, God can do what we can't. Two, God wants to do what we can't. And three, God will do what we can't. To that first point, I want to spend the bulk of our time here just going through the parts of this prayer, highlighting the futility of ourselves and also the greatness of God while seeking him corporately along the way. And we pick up right here in verse 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. And I'm going to stop right here. Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, and he tells them to address the maker of heaven and earth as father. This was not done. No one ever before could address God as father. Of course, the people of Israel, they saw him as father, but they saw him as father of their nation, like corporate father. But father relationally as, as an individual, he's our father, my father. In one word, Christ is demonstrating that prayer as a disciple of Jesus is different. The gospel is referred to as a gospel of reconciliation, right? God is being united with his people through Jesus' death on a cross. We had no relationship with God. We, we, we are sinful and human. And then Jesus 
gives us the opportunity to be in communion with the Father because he has washed away all the sin that separated us to begin with. So let's not overlook something so massive. Jesus teaches them about prayer, but just in that one word, it says that prayer is more than just asking God for stuff. When we pray, we spend time with the Father. Prayer is an exercise of our privilege as children of the living God. Our Father who sits in heaven, yes, but our Father who's right here when we turn to him. So when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, make your name be honored as holy. God, glorify yourself. If God answers this prayer, it would result in our our holiness, our reverence, our fear of him, our ability to do what is right. This is a prayer for our, our nation and others to see him rightly for their own good. For our own good. And all of this we should desire, but the reason we have to pray this is because that none of this would happen on our own. God can do what we can't. We are utterly dependent on God to glorify God. So we should be running to our closets to pray, right? But it's easy for us to get caught up in seeking our own glory. And when that happens, this prayer becomes less important. And prayer becomes less important. If our aim is to seek affirmation for ourselves, we will not pray for the exaltation of God. So even today we pray, Lord, align our desires with your own. Give us a heart that seeks you, a heart that is all about your worship. Do this because we can't. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Over 30 times in Luke's gospel, he mentions the kingdom of God. But what does it mean for his kingdom to come? I think the whole Bible is about answering this prayer. Throughout history, Israel has been awaiting the Messiah who will reign on the throne of David forever. He will overthrow their enemies and set them free from oppression. Jesus was this coming king. The people of Israel, they were waiting for a new exodus or a a, a deliverance, a new covenant, and a new creation. And when Jesus came on a scene, he, he effectively ushered in this kingdom. He would die on a cross and deliver people from their slavery to sin. Just like his people in Egypt, he would give us the spirit, writing the law on our hearts, making a new covenant in his blood. He would make us new if we believe being united with him in his resurrection. He is the one that we've been waiting for. But though Christ has already inaugurated his kingdom, he has not yet consummated his kingdom. When he returns, and yes, Jesus is coming back His kingdom will be fully realized. We will get to see Jesus on his throne, under his rule and reign. He will judge our enemies and we will share in his glory. But this prayer is not just a prayer 
that calls on Jesus to come back. This is also a prayer for his kingdom to be experienced while we're on earth. The way that God's kingdom expands is through people submitting to Christ as Lord, people coming into his kingdom through faith in the gospel. This prayer is a prayer that seeks that God gives us the taste of the kingdom now, from salvation to intervention and reprieve from the hardships of the fall. When we seek justice on earth for the oppressed and the unborn, or when we seek healing for the sick or victory for the church, we pray that God's kingdom will come to all people. And we pray this because we are not the ones who bring God's kingdom. God is the one who answers this prayer. And as Christians who care about the world and people and souls everywhere, for every unreached people group, we pray that God would bring his kingdom there. We pray this because if the Lord doesn't build it, we labor in vain. God can do what we can't. And God desires to use our prayer to do it. John Piper puts it this way, prayer releases the power of the gospel. So we have to pray. But we will not get away and pray for this kingdom if we are distracted with building the wrong kingdoms. Let's be a people who are concerned with one people, one kingdom, Because too many times we labor and push another kingdom's agenda, one that is run by Satan. Every other kingdom agenda is run by Satan. For every post on social media, we proclaim that our citizenship in heaven is less important than our political affiliations. That I care more about the cause that I'm fighting for than the souls of the people that I'm fighting against. These people who are made in the image of God, the same God that we worship. And none of us are immune to this. And so we pray, God, give us a heart for your kingdom. Help us to see your light in the world. Send us to share the good news. Make us a part of your plan. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that your spirit will move through Shelby Park, through U of L, through Louisville, through the nation, through all nations. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread because we can't provide for ourselves. We are not the ones who meet any of our tangible needs. And when we don't pray, there's this underlying implication that, hey, man, I got this. We, I could do this one on my own. But we can't. And the most popular reason for not praying is that, man, I am just too busy. I'm, I'm just too busy. And if you think about it, you're busy doing what? Busy trying to meet our own needs and do things out of our own strength. We're all Hulk Hogan's. And so I know some of you guys are in a younger age group, but 
Hulk Hogan wrestled for like 70 years, so like we should all know him. Um, but Hogan would do this thing where he would just rip his shirt off in two perfect pieces, just like that. Right, just rip his shirt. I'm that strong. I rip my shirt off in two perfect pieces, right? And it only took me like two mangled collars to realize that is not possible. I don't care how strong you are. Mom's like, what happened to you? I just bought this shirt. I thought I was Hulk Hogan. Then after watching over and over, I I looked a little bit closer, and you know what I saw? I saw a little slit right here in Hulk Hogan's shirt before he ripped it off. And I'm like, oh, the slit is doing all the work. It's the slit. What if Hulk Hogan thought that he was actually strong enough to just rip his shirt perfectly in two, as if that slit wasn't there? We'd say, Hulk Hogan, you are delusional. But this is us when we think that earning a paycheck is providing for ourselves. We are delusional too. God is doing all the work. And when we know this, it should drive us to pray and seek the Lord because God can do what we can't. And the same goes with the rest of this prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we forgive those who are indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation. New Testament scholar Daryl Bach comments on these verses, and he says, Prayer is important since it brings us into communion with God and allows us to draw on his presence with us. Yeah, God is with us, and prayer allows us to draw on his presence with us. He goes on to say, temptation is avoided only by continued dependence on God. Only God can forgive sin. Only God can keep us from falling. And so we cry out to the Lord, have mercy on me. Keep me from failing. I want you more than anything else. I am weak. Give me grace and mercy in my time of need. Do not lead me into temptation. I want to wrap up this this, this point with this. We are powerless people. As humans born into the fall, we can do nothing apart from Christ. This prayer surrenders our heart to God. Over time, it it shapes us. We begin to instinctively turn our hearts to the Lord in times of need because prayer trains us to trust God. Think about our country where we are as a society, riddled with anxiety, because our hearts are trained to run to despair. Imagine if we trained it to run to God, and our faith would be increased because we acknowledge God even when he does the mundane things, because we even pray for the mundane things. And we desire him even more because we know him more, communing with him, calling him father and understanding what that means. We should pray because God can do what we can't, but we should also pray because God wants to do what we can't. I'm going to paraphrase this next part of, of, uh, of this text. And Jesus tells a, tells a parable. He's like, man, which one of you 
would go to a friend's house in the middle of the night, knock on the door. Everything's dark in the house. You know he's asleep. It is 12 midnight. You are knocking on the door, and the guy says, hey, I can't believe you came to my house right now. Like, I grew up in a house where you couldn't show up unannounced, let alone show up at 12 o'clock in the morning unannounced, knocking on my door. And he's like, my whole family is sleeping in this bed. If I get up, they get up. No, I'm not giving you what you need. He's like, hey, but somebody just arrived at my house, and I need to give him some bread because that's what we do. I want to be hospitable. Can you give me just like three slices of Wonder Bread, and we'll be straight? And he's like, no. But Jesus goes on to say, man, he will not get up because he's his friend, but what he would do, he would get up because of your shameless audacity. I think he's saying, man, this dude will get up because if you're bold enough to come to his house in the middle of the night, you might not ever leave, right? And he's saying that, man, this dude will give you what you ask for, and he don't even like you that much. But God is different. Your father is not like this guy. He actually wants to meet with you. He welcomes you in the middle of the night. Your boldness and persistence is worship to him. The more he hears from you, the better. The Father delights to give you the kingdom. The Father delights to spend time with you, to provide for you. Come and ask. Come and ask me. This is his joy. So ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. There's something about asking someone something when you know that they're going to say yes. Right? It's, like, it's the reason that we never see any she said no posts on Instagram. Like with like a picture of a ring that's still in the box and like a sad face. <laughs> and, and partly because like in the rare times that this happens, um, you're, you're not going to post that on social media, right? But most of the times it's because like you're only going to ask someone to marry you if you know that they're going to say yes. Right? Something about knowing that someone's going to say yes gives you a boldness to go and ask them for something. Right? But the opposite is also true. So my mom, she said no to every expensive field trip I ever had the opportunity to go to. Like flat out no. But I also never asked her. Right? So I never heard her say the word no, but I just knew that she was going to say no. Right? Kids learn this at a young age. They, they go to the parent who they think is going to say yes. And so we can go to our Father because God delights in your dependence. He wants to do what we can. And not only that, but He will do what we can. Verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This is guaranteed. God will do what you ask, but this is not a license that he will just give you anything that you want. But if you ask for something that falls into the categories of what we just prayed above, then God will do it. He is both able and willing 
and determined to receive glory through answering prayers. And then Jesus gives another parable describing what the father is, what type of father we have. He says, what father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? A serpent and a scorpion were used in the previous chapter, representing like the, the power of the enemy. And in essence, he's saying, I will not give you something that will harm you spiritually. I, I will not neglect what you need. I give what is good. Jesus continues, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? And this statement is loaded. God puts his name on the line. There is no line of credit that is stronger than the one that is backed by God as guarantor. God gives good gifts and he only gives good gifts. No matter what you ask and receive, what comes from the hand of the Lord works together for the good of those who love him. He's not promising that you won't ever suffer. He is, however, promising that if he were to even give you suffering, it is for the purpose of our perseverance, for our good. And what is most amazing about this verse is that he says, man, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit? You give good gifts, I give good gifts, but, but also the greatest gift anyone could ask for, I give myself to all those who ask. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ today, and maybe you don't know the, our desperate need or the immeasurable value of prayer, but I'm telling you, if you call on the name of God right now, he will give himself to you. You see, by my spirit, you will overcome temptation. By my hand, you will have everything you need. By my son, you will be forgiven. I will see to it that the kingdom comes. I will make my name holy in all the land. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Are you concerned about the sin that you can't seem to shake in this new year? Well, he promised to give you the spirit by whom we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Are you concerned about loneliness in the new year? Well, he promised to give you the spirit through whom you can experience his love poured out into your heart. Are you battling with knowing if you're truly saved or if God is on your side? God is promising his spirit who bears witness to us that we are children of God. Are you wanting to see God use you in 2022? God is promising his spirit who gives us power to witness about this Jewish savior named Jesus. The spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding on our behalf. The spirit he gives to those who ask, to those who pray, to those who seek him, to those who practice sacred solitude, this rhythm, this regular rhythm of relentless prayer in retreat. So seek him. There's one application. You probably know what it is, right? Like 
Pray. There you go. More specifically, what I want you to do, I want you to sit down today and I want you to write out a plan for prayer this week. All I want you to do is write down what time you're going to pray each day. You're going to write down where you're going to pray. And you're going to write down either what you're going to pray for or how you plan to pray. There's like a thousand different uh, acronyms on Google if you're looking for one, right? But just get in front of your father and, and, and talk to him. And if you don't know how to pray, just start with the words right in this passage. And when you read them, just tell God whatever comes to your mind. Most important part, just, just share your heart. Share your heart with your father. I want to wrap up with a word here. Your father wants to hear from you. He's not waiting to guilt trip you. When I was younger, say third grade, and I'm thinking of a specific instance right now. And my teacher is like, hey, Jason, I'm going to call home, right? And it's like at that point, I just, I know what's going to happen when I get home, right? (laughs) My mom is going to be waiting right at the door. Like I'm going to open to the door and just see her with a belt in her hand. And so I would be afraid to approach that house because my mom is waiting for me with a belt. (laughs) But God is also waiting for you. But he's not waiting for you with, with a belt to chastise you. He is waiting for you with open arms, ready to embrace you. Your father knows you are weak. And he knows what you need, and he wants to use your prayer as a part of his plan. God can do what we can't. He wants to do what we can't. He will do what we can't. In 2022, let's cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us through our regular rhythm of relentless prayer and retreat. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.